0: morning church. Come on, let's stand together. Come on in and find a place. Let's worship and praise and adoration to our God this morning. Come on, we'll sing with, with hearts full of grace.
1: But to rage and kiss the captain the sun.
0: here to this place. The church is gathered and here, the church is here to praise the name of our great God and King. And our presence here is actually a response to God's call upon his people. We are here because he called us. We are here to come near, to put ourselves under the authority of his word and to respond in thanksgiving and awe at the greatness of our God. God is doing something Amazing here, he is building his church, and his spirit dwells within us. So let's let these songs move us, let's let the gospel move within us as the Spirit uh, teaches us and guides us this morning. This is what the scripture says is our call to worship. Let's read it together. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So with that, let's respond, church. God, for his grace, grace that is provided to us freely, grace that is so uh, not deserved by us, though, as we stand here. If we were apart from Christ, we could not stand, we could not come near his presence. And so we are reminded of our desperate need, the grace of God this morning and his power over our sins. So this morning, don't let your sins continue on into this next week. have things that you need to confess before the Lord, you can do that. You can bring those to the Father knowing that he does not have a heavy hand for those who are in Christ. He loves you. He paid for those sins and he is the one, the only one who can cover those sins. Scripture says, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, Christ." many will be made righteous. Let's read. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life. gospel and that story becomes our story through jesus christ this morning we are overflowing with joy and with gratitude because of what you are doing in our midst in the body of christ so we ask that you would do it more that you would speak to us through your word this morning that you would grow us as your church it's in your name that we pray in the name of jesus amen you can be seated
2: morning four oaks welcome my name is julia stake and i am so glad that you're joining us today if this is your first time here today we would love for you to stop by the hub in the lobby so we can give you some information and a small gift it's the big round desk in the center of the lobby you can't miss it at this point students in fifth through eighth grade you are dismissed to your class well four oaks summer is almost here and that means that women's book clubs will be starting soon Registration is open for all of the clubs. We have a variety of books that are meeting at different days of the weeks and different times of the day. There's also one on Wednesday morning where we'll offer childcare for infants through fifth grade. So please stop by the hub today to check out all the different books and to sign up. We can't wait to join you. Also, Sunset Service is back, yay! We can't wait to see you tonight at 6.30 out under the oaks. Don't forget to bring your lawn chair, your family, and your friends. As always, be sure to stop by the hub to check out all the information of what's going on here at Four Oaks. Finally, thank you for your continued support of our ministries here at Four Oaks. We are so grateful for your generous giving. If you'd like to give today, you can text, you can give online, you can give through the Church Center app, or by using the offering boxes located at the back of the church. We are truly grateful for your continued support. And now, let's worship the Lord by opening up his word.
3: All right, good morning, Four Oaks Church. So glad that you were here. Those who don't know me, I don't know you, maybe. Um, Pastor Paul and Lead Pastor, Um, super glad you joined us, either here in person or online. I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 5. You know, 500 years ago, when the faithful men... The reformers, men like John Calvin, Martin Luther, Zwingli, John Knox, others, when they were having this debate within the church and calling the church back to holiness and purity and biblical standards, this book was of particular um, relevance to them. Because as we've seen, as we've journeyed through First Timothy, this is all about who the church is to be, who are we called to be as the people of God, the family of God, How are we to relate to each other? How are we to order ourselves as a church body? And as we've seen, this book is an incredibly rich doctrinal book. And if this is sort of your wedded, your appetite for more study, more history, more research, um, just a reminder, after the second service today, we're having um, a luncheon in the Gallery 14. We're taking a a trip next summer um, to Germany. It's a Reformation trip. It's going to be part historical Um, part theological, part recreational, of course. But not only are we seeing sites and historical markers of the Reformation as we make that journey, we're also going to be doing teaching through central doctrines and truths that we've been learning about and that pertain particularly to that time period in history. And so if you just want to know more or just want a little German fare, um, join us immediately after this um, service over here in Gallery 14. But for this morning, we're in First, uh, First Timothy five, and this passage in particular um, has extraordinary relevance for how we're to think about what it means to relate as a family, to order ourselves as the people of God under under godly leadership. What are our expectations of them, and what are their responsibilities? Um, to us. And and let me set this passage up in this way. If you're anything like the Gilberts, you have been receiving this plethora of graduation announcements in the mail, right? And I'm sure you're faithfully putting everyone on your refrigerator and stroking $1,000 checks to all graduates, okay? That's what we're doing. Um, Not really. But anyway, you get what I'm saying. We're praying for them. And imagine, as a parent, you have a senior who's graduating, and they have just like hit 10 on a 10, right? Right? They've been accepted into, to an Ivy League school. They are valedictorian of their class. They've scored a perfect score on the SAT. And imagine you were invited to their graduation party. And getting there, you saw this graduate, and you pulled them aside, and you begin to lecture them about their study habits. All right, Imagine that for just a second. And, of course, you would be insulting their intelligence, and everyone would look at you like you've lost your mind. And I'll just say this. In in teaching through and preparing for this passage this morning, I have much the same heart towards you. You see, because Paul is writing to Timothy to give instructions to the church in Ephesus about how they are to honor, relate to, choose, correct, compensate pastors and elders And as I study this passage, I do feel like the Apostle Paul, when he tells the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. And so in in certain ways, I just feel like you as a church family have excelled incredibly when it comes to the things of this of this text. I mean, I just, I'm, I'm incredibly thankful, incredibly grateful. I know all of us as pastors and elders are to think about how God has already knit many of the truths of this text into the DNA and life of this church family. You've excelled in so many ways, for Oaks, but two practical considerations make this text, again, particularly relevant. Number one, we have lots of new folks this season. Um, A lot of folks maybe who weren't in a church family before COVID hit, gotten attached to things here um, virtually or otherwise, and have come, and maybe you're a part, a new part of the family, and this will be a great sort of introduction into how we view leadership, spiritual leadership, New Testament leadership here at Four Oaks. Secondly, this is also the season, the time of the year annually, where where we present a slate of elders for you to consider as a church family. And we invite you in to to affirm that process, to approve that process, to speak in to that process. And so this is incredibly timely. And once again, I just want to to say, when, when we commit to preaching through God's word as a church family, isn't it amazing? how he continually brings us those texts in the, in the time, in the season that we need them. And that is the same as we find here this morning. So if, if you can, willing and able, I invite you to stand as we read God's word this morning. We're going to be in 1 Timothy 5, 17 through the end of the chapter. Paul is giving instructions to Timothy about elders. And here's what he says. going before them to judgment but the sins of others appear later so also good works are conspicuous and even those that are not cannot remain hidden let's pray father i just want to pray on our behalf i believe this reflects the heart of our family and leadership at four oaks we just want to be who you've called us to be we want to do what you've called us to do we want to to run after you. We want to embrace everything you have for us as part of your family here at this local church. So Lord, just show us the way. Give us your grace. Father, write this text upon our hearts. Where we're not getting it right, we want to get it right. Lord, where we're getting it right, we don't want to be proud. We want to be humble and thankful and dependent upon you. So, Lord, we pray that you would do this work of grace in our midst this morning, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Please take your seats. So, if 1 Timothy 3, which we looked at a number of weeks ago, deals with the spiritual qualifications of an elder, a pastor, an overseer, and by the way, all of those terms are interchangeable in the New Testament. But if there's anything... That we've seen in terms of their qualifications, Paul now turns to the practical. In other words, once these elders are in place, how were they to relate to the church and how was the church to relate to them? And so there's going to be three points I want to draw our attention to. And here is where Paul is going to lead us. Number one, he's first of all going to talk about caring for elders, caring for elders. Number two, he's going to talk to us about correcting elders. And thirdly, and finally, he's going to talk to us about calling elders. So let's talk about carrying elders first. Now, when elders were installed in churches in the New Testament, this is sort of what would happen. So the apostles, remember, there was no church. The apostles would go out. They would plant churches in different cities. And once they planted a church, established a gospel beachhead, they would leave to plant another church in another area but then they would entrust or turn over the spiritual leadership of that local church to a group of elders a plurality of spiritually qualified men now if you were one of those men in the new testament church this was a massive undertaking because guess what? You had another life. You had another job. You had a family. You had a livelihood. And not only did you have to take on these spiritual responsibilities, you had to maintain all the other responsibilities you had in your life. So, what happened, of course, is that as the church grew, it required more labor on the part of those elders to care for. And to shepherd the church. And so what began to happen, and we and Paul is is alluding to this here, some of those elders who had been set apart for spiritual leadership were called out to work full-time, to make their living, to make um, their vocation um, the gospel ministry to the local body, particularly those who were to teach and to preach. And so look at verse 17. Paul alludes to this. He says, "Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching." And so that's who he has in mind here. And so you so you have this plurality of elders who are governing and leading the church, some of which are unpaid lay elders and some of which are compensated paid elders. Now, as John Stewart, one of our elders, often says to us as pastors, you know, the church pays you guys to be good, but the rest of us, we're good for nothing. So I kind of like that a little bit, okay? <laughs> he said that, not, not me, okay? Now, our nomenclature here at Four Oaks, this is, this, is, this is important to know. We are governed and led and ruled and shepherded by a plurality of elders, not just one elder or one bishop, but a, a group. And a subset of those elders are set aside for making their living through the gospel, the ministry of the church, to work full-time in preaching and teaching and shepherding. And we call these men pastors. But understand, biblically, there is no distinction in terms of function. It's only a matter of degrees. And so, so elders are pastors, pastors are elders. It's just the way in our church family we try to designate who, who makes their living from the gospel, and who does not. Now, here, Paul is addressing, okay, those who were remunerated by the church family, paid, compensated, and that's the word honor, okay? So, so in the pastoral epistles, the word honor almost always has a financial connotation, and this, of course, was consistent with what had happened from the very beginning um, for God's servants who were called to minister to the people of God, so in the Old Testament, the priests would offer sacrifices um, on behalf of the people, and they would retain a portion of that meat for part of their of their own daily bread. This continued, by the way, right into the New Testament. In fact, Galatians, which we think was the earliest of the New Testament letters, certainly Paul's very first letter. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians six six. He says, let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. In other words, take your pastor out for Sunday dinner, all right? Shoeless Steakhouse particularly, right? No, it is, it's a general principle. And now what Paul does here, and now this is probably 20 years later after he wrote Galatians, he reiterates that same principle and he quotes from two texts. The first text is from Deuteronomy twenty-five, four when Paul quotes this, this passage about not working an oxen without feeding him, okay? Insert pastor joke there, right there, okay? But the second he quotes is from Luke 10, 7, the words of Jesus, where he says, the laborer deserves his wages. Now, let me just make a, a, a side note here. It's not the main point of this message, but it's still fascinating nonetheless. There was no New Testament at this time, in fact, we think that Luke's gospel um, was not even in circulation to the entire body of Christ at that moment. However, Luke was Paul's incredibly close friend. And we think Luke, very likely, was the one who was dictating this letter from Paul. We know this because of, of there's medical terminology we find in this letter. But even at this point in time, it shows us a couple of things. One, that the sayings of Jesus had already been written down and were circulating among the church. In fact, Luke undoubtedly had begun compiling these sayings of Jesus. And when Paul identifies this saying from Jesus, he equates it with the same authority that he does the Old Testament. Isn't that fascinating? That, that, that from the earliest time... The church was governed not just by the Old Testament, but by the expectation that they were going to be governed by the authoritative words of the apostles and their associates. An apologetic point, the, this idea of a completed canon that we have as the Old and New Testament, it was anticipated, foreseen, and planned for from the earliest days of the life of the church by Jesus himself. Jesus said, the Old Testament is about me. And now, apostles, I'm sending you out to be my author- authorized leaders. And it was their writings, it was their authority that governed the church. And this is why we have the Old and New Testaments as we do. Now, back to back to the, the, the passage this morning. This word, double honor, um, as we mentioned before, honor means pay. But obviously, Well, not so, obviously, as I try to make a point to our elders. Double honor does not mean double pay, right? So, in my annual yearly review, I try to make this point. They don't listen, okay? But double honor does not mean that, okay? It means honored in pay and honored in respect. And the way John Stott talks about this, he talks about for the pastor, there is to be honor and honorarium. There is to be respect and remuneration, who is to receive this double honor? Those who rule well, Paul says. Those who are faithful. Those who are qualified. Those who are hard working. Now, in a minute, we're going to talk about those elders who are not doing that. But here, we Paul wants to, to lay out what this kind of honor looks like. And there's two, two two extremes I think we want to avoid. The first extreme is one that I think is is probably not as relevant for this context. Um, it's more of a traditional old school mindset, which, which, is, which I kind of deem the poor little pastor perspective, right? In other words, if the pastor is not struggling, suffering, and scraping by, the church isn't doing it right, okay? Um, Kent Hughes, um, who was the pastor at College Church in Wheaton, um, notes this story that he heard from another pastor where this young pastor, this was probably 70 years ago, right? When, when people were still receiving deliveries to their door of, of milk and, and butter and, and, um, and um, you know, those dairy products every morning, they were receiving these things. And the pastor, when, when, when this was happening and it was being sent by the church, he thought, this is the most amazing thing, right? to get these eggs and milk every morning. The church is so generous. They love us. We, they appreciate us. Until he received his first paycheck, where he found that those eggs and milk deliveries had been being deducted from his paycheck the whole time, right? And it was sort of that old school Midwest Baltic austerity that is not honoring, okay? But on the other end of the spectrum, and then I think this is much more the danger for us in our context, is that being a pastor in a local church can oftentimes be simply a platform for personal branding, public notoriety, fame, riches, books, conferences, travel, where the man of God is using the church as a launching pad to evangelical status and fame. And a whole host of stories have come out as of late, I'm not going to go through them now, of well-known leaders who entered the pastorate relatively middle-class but now are leaving the pastorate incredibly independently wealthy. It's kind of like um, politicians who go off to D.C. in their middle class, and they retire 20 years later, and they're multimillionaires. And we're like, Shazam, how did this happen, right? Well, obviously, they're trafficking on their influence. This is why I think men like John Piper, um, Rick Warren, who are two of the most Um, well-known evangelical authors. Rick Warren has written fewer titles, but they've sold in the millions. Piper's written, seems like, a million books and sold many, okay? Both of these men, first of all, Piper donates 100% of his royalties back into the ministry. Rick Warren, for years... Um, would try to increase his giving percentage by a percentage. So I think the last time I heard, he was at like 98, 99% of all of his earnings royalties went back into the ministry to commend them. But guys, that is the exception. It is not the rule. And so we have to ask, knowing that there are these two extremes, Poor little pastor extreme, famous pastor extreme, what is a fair wage? And I'm going to quote from Kent Hughes here, and I think this is, this is really good. As a rule of thumb, pastors ought to be paid on the same scale as others in the congregation of the same age, education, level of experience, and responsibilities. They should not live above or below their congregation. And it is generally better for the church to err on the plus side. That was Kent Hughes who added that, not me, okay? Now, Four Oaks, let me just say this, two things. Our lay elders on behalf of the church and on your behalf have erred on the plus side over and over and over again. I, wanna, I think I can say on behalf of the pastors and elders, we feel incredibly honored cared for. And I don't just mean financially. I mean our families, our rhythms of work, the expectations. Nobody's driving by here on Friday afternoon looking for the pastor's car like in the parking lot. That's why I walk to totally do away with this sort of thing, right? Um, Guys, our, our pastors are incredibly generous to give our vocational, our elders are incredibly generous to give our vocational pastors a sabbatical every seven years which um, for every seven years, a pastor is able to take eight to 12 weeks off in order to focus on study and prayer and family and replenishing, because the call of the pastor is one that you never really, you shouldn't, if you're, if done correctly, ever stop being a pastor, because it is such a character-driven, holy calling. So for example, this summer, the pipers, um Rob and Shannon Pfeiffer are going off on sabbatical, and while they're gone on sabbatical, we, of course, will close the church because nothing will get done, okay? But, but I just want to say, I, I have nothing but gratefulness and thankfulness for this church family, for our lay elders who care so well for us. Thank you, church. Now, the second point, correcting elders, Inasmuch as honor is to be given elders who rule well, Paul now turns his attention to those situations where elders are not ruling well. Look at verse 19. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. One of the things that can... Be startling for people, particularly if you come from a real traditional church background, a real idea that there is the holy man of God up on this elevated platform and everybody else is down here. The reality, and we all know this, right? We know this biblically. We know it experientially. Elders and pastors are just men in the middle of their own sanctification, as Paul Tripp would say. They are just men. They are just human beings. And as such, they are broken, fragile, sinful, discouraged, in need of care, and sometimes correction. And Paul tells us how that is to happen. First, Paul says when correction needs to happen, it does not need to be the result of innuendo or gossip or posts on social media it's, 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 it's not to be received as simply a grievance or an accusation from one person. It needs to be an observed pattern of sinful behavior, so much so that others see it. And Paul says this is why there has to be two or three witnesses. It's his way of saying this is the Old Testament principle, authority, I mean, witnesses not to be accepted, but based upon a plurality of witnesses who then by God's grace, are able to bring it to the attention of the other elders who are then called to wrestle with it and to deal with it. Now, let me just make a point here. I think Paul is doing exactly that, meaning correcting Timothy, um, even in this passage, okay? I want you to look at verse 23 for a second. And, and, And scholars have long debated about what is this verse doing in the middle of all this? Verse 23, Timothy, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. It's almost like Paul has apostolic ADD, right? And things are just kind of capturing his attention left and right. And he just, this thought pops into his mind and he has to put it down. Actually, and I'm indebted to Kent Hughes for this observation. I don't think that's what's happening here. See, if you look at verse 22, he tells Timothy, Timothy, do not take part in the sins of others. Keep yourselves pure, Now, what is he talking about here? You see, one of the sins of the false teachers in Ephesus was what? They were aesthetics. They were the ones going around saying, if you want to be really spiritual, do not see, do not taste, do not touch. Don't get married. Don't drink wine. Don't do this. Don't do that. And those who abstain from these things that the Bible already says are good— And to be received as gifts with thanksgiving it's saying, abstain from those and you can sort of be a more spiritual person. Now we have all of our own things, right? Where where this falls into, we won't get into that today, but it seems that Timothy very likely could have been following suit. You see, Timothy, um, because of either the influence of the aesthetics or or other, was drinking only water when in that culture... Um, wine was a very much part of the rhythms of daily life daily bread it was also seen to have medicinal value and and paul is exhorting timothy timothy you're not availing yourself of all the means of god's grace see he he's given you wine to to for enjoyment to relax your disposition I, i love the way that he frames this your frequent ailments right I love to think about Timothy as a hypochondriac. You know he was, right? Anxious and, you know, t- t- what is Paul telling him? Timothy, chill, right? Chill. Take a little wine for your psyche and your, and your stomach. What is Paul doing here? He's correcting him as a son. He's commanding him to drink some wine in moderation. And let me tell you, every pastor needs that kind of correction in their life. I'll never forget, um, this was over a decade ago, I was having a series of hard interactions with a family in this church that's, 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 not, that's no longer here, moved away. And let me just say this, in the way that I was engaging this family, I, I was right in my assessment of what was going on in their life and my desire to correct it. But I was so right I think you understand what I mean when I say this. I was so wrong. I was so um, pointed and sharp and rebuking that I really was, I think, crushing them. And this came to the attention of some of our elders. And so after an elder retreat, I look up, and never a good thing after the retreat when there's three elders waiting for you, right? It's either we're going to go take a ride to sleep with the fishes or something's about to happen, all right? All right. And I remember them putting their arm around me, literally, these three men, and said, hey, we're we're aware of the situation, just kind of tell us what's going on, what's happening there. And they kind of drew this out of me and unpacked it, and it just became very clear that um, this was a loving rebuke. This was a loving correction. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, right? Right? but God uses it to raise up a harvest of righteousness. We all need this, but the pastor particularly needs this because there are few who would take it upon themselves to do so. But our men have and have done that. That is simply one example. And let me just say, it's a blessing. It's a blessing for the church. It's a protection for the church. Now, Paul here notes those times when correction has to become public. And it seems to be that correction becomes public when an elder persists in sinning. See, see here, I think Paul is assuming Matthew 18, where all the time as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are entreating each other, correcting each other. And sometimes when we're super bullheaded and hardheaded, there has to be two to three to come along and, and work with that brother or sister. But, but sometimes, Matthew 18 tells us, when someone just won't listen, is not entreatable, is unteachable, has a hardened heart, sometimes out of concern for the church and to, 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 to strike the seriousness of what's happening, those times are made public. I think there, by God's grace, in the 25 years that I've been here, there may have been a couple of times where things have reached this point. Now, let me just say this you may be new or you may not have been here that whole 25 years, and you may be thinking, you know, Pastor Paul, all all that sounds great, but I've never heard of that. never heard of a church doing that. That that seems rare. I I can never recall. And guys, let me just tell you, that's the problem. That's the problem. See, when we have heard of some of the more public scandals, and I'm going to name these names simply because they are public. So whether it's Bill Hybels or Mark Driscoll or Robbie Zacharias, or um, Camp Kanakuk and their leadership and ministry, what you find when all of these things begin to come out about stuff that's been going on behind the scenes and corrupt lives and character, what you find is that those concerns may have at one time been voiced to those men. There may have been people close enough to kind of understand what's going on. But once they were initially rebuffed, whether it was out of fear or financial considerations, that's a big one, or or this perception that this ministry is so great, this voice is so gifted, it's so powerful, it's too big to fail. This church is having such an amazing witness in ministry for the gospel, we have to just tuck this away because look what God is doing. And let me just say That is so unbiblical. That is absolutely corrupt. See, this is why Paul tells Timothy, this is all to be done without partiality, without prejudging. In other words, Timothy, don't play favorites. See, some of those elders, they give a lot of money. Some of those leaders, they're, they're very influential in the community. Some of those leaders, they're really networked. Be careful, Timothy, and Paul says, without partiality. And oftentimes, let me just say this, when we show partiality in our correction, what we are doing is simply enabling abuse. We are enabling corruption, and we are complicit in it. Because let me just say this, I'm so thankful for hoax that overwhelmingly, this is not the witness the witness is that we oh, we've had men step away from eldership at different times because through the entreatment of their brothers they've just known ah oh, yeah i need to focus on my marriage i need to attend to my personal life I, need, I i'm i'm burned out here or i'm i'm not i'm just i'm not in a good place spiritually they've responded to the entreatment of their brothers and the holy spirit and let me just say that's a grace and i believe as a church family Um, God has has given us this gift of correction, but pray. Pray that it will be all the more because it's for the protection of you and the gospel, the fellow elders, and our mission here at Four Oaks. Okay, last point will be done. Paul finally turns his attention to the calling of elders. Look at verse 23. He tells Timothy, Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. We need to understand that part of Timothy's mission and part of every church's mission and the leadership in the church is that elders are to not just be a static stationary board that make decisions. Part of the mission of the church is to pass the gospel torch. This is why Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, Timothy, the things that you have heard and Me say in the presence of many witnesses, I entrust to you so that you can also entrust them to reliable men who will be qualified to teach others. So, part of what Timothy was called to do was to raise up new leaders, qualified leaders. And Paul tells him how to do so. But his first warning is don't be hasty, in other words, don't rush it, give it time. Don't get in a hurry. Now, now why does Paul say this? John Stott talks about this as the iceberg principle when he says this. 90% of who a person is, it's true for all of us, is hidden from view. Isn't that right? We see the 10% that's right here in this interaction or in that interaction. But to get a scope of the totality of who a person is takes time a lot of time. It takes a process to really get to get to know someone, their marriage, their life, their character. Now, Paul says here, we'll look back at the text. He says, the sins of some people are conspicuous. In other words, sometimes it's just blatantly obvious, right? (laughs) That something that's going on in someone's life, it doesn't even require prayer in order to correct, it doesn't require, I mean, you need to pray, but not prayer to discern if it's right or wrong. It's just very clear from God's word. It's very obvious. It's right in front of you. And that's, and Paul says, act accordingly. But other times, and this is where we have to be careful. He said, sometimes the sins, look at verse 24, appear later. See, when we meet someone and they're an incredibly gifted leader, they're they're an incredibly gifted business owner or organizational manager, or they're very eloquent in their speaking. And and, and there's an impulse, a human impulse, and I think it's at the heart of a lot of celebrity culture in the evangelical church. Our impulse is to want to recognize that gift, to recognize that person, to elevate that person, to, to platform that person, to invest in that person. And we value gifting over character, Cause let me just say this, gifting is not unimportant. But fundamentally, spiritual leadership, being an elder and pastor, it is a character-centered profession. Without character, we've got nothing. Robert Murray McShane said the greatest gift a pastor can give his people is his holiness. And we don't have time to detail all of the disasters that have happened in the church when we have been too hasty to push someone forward into leadership when they are simply not ready, not qualified, not suited. Now, let me just say this. How does this work itself out at Four Oaks in terms of the calling of elders? Let me give you a couple of principles here. Number one Elders don't choose elders in the strict theological sense. The Holy Spirit, Paul tells us in Acts 20, appoints overseers. It's the Holy Spirit who sets aside men to govern the church. It's our job as a church family to recognize them, to see the work of God's Spirit, to affirm, to observe, to watch. Sometimes not weeks, months, years, decades even. To get to know someone. And, and so oftentimes, it's not even really a question who God is pressing forward to the, to the elders about who is a spiritual shepherd or leader in the church. It's happening organically. Look at that guy. Look, look, look at his family. Look at his life. Look at his character. Look at his ministry. Look how he's shepherding. Look how he's leading. That's a work of the Spirit. Now, we simply want to recognize it and affirm it and fan it into flame. Now, we're not infallible, okay? We're not infallible, which is why we, for any new elder walking through our process, I mean, going through this, there's a year-long intensive training assessment process where guys are not just trained biblically, theologically, but we get to know their wives, their families, their character, their heart for the church, their heart for the Lord. We invite them into this assessment process. It's like being under a microscope. And then finally, when we reach that point we present these men to you and we say church would you affirm these men that and by the way that's not perfunctory that is an opportunity for you as a church family to say you know i i have a real concern here There's, there there might be something that that you and only you know there might be there, there, there might be something that hinders your spirit for wholeheartedly affirming someone in leadership. That's why when you vote on elders, we ask, it's not like American voting, okay? That's secret. We ask you, okay, because we think this is biblical, to put your name on the ballot. And if you're not voting to affirm an elder, just to say, why? Because that can be a real opportunity for God's grace. There might be a personal situation to rectify, there, there might be something that's hindering fellowship there. If it's a repeated pattern, that might be an instance where there is needed to be correction that's involved. And so this is a really, really important part of the process for us is saying, yes, we believe we're entrusted with the spiritual leadership of Four Oaks Community Church, but ultimately we are accountable to God through his word But we're also accountable to the church family who is entrusting themselves to our leadership. So, for example, coming up in June on a Sunday night, I think it's June 13th, I think there should be a slide here. We'll come together as a church family. No leather sofas in here, though. Okay, too bad. But we'll all come in together as a church family. We'll talk about our budgeting priorities. We'll talk about officers. We'll talk about elders. We'll present new elders. And we'll ask you, guys, speak into this. Think about this. Pray about this. We invite you into that because we believe that's God-honoring and let me just say this on behalf of your elders, folks. This church does not belong to us. This church does not belong to you. Guess what? This church belongs to Jesus. He is the head of the church. We are simply the family of God that's called to follow him. He is the chief shepherd. Yes, he entrusts for a season, for a small, short of time, to elders as under-shepherds to care for the flock of God. And you know what? We believe with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength that is something that one day we will have to stand before the Lord and answer for. That's what Peter says. Shepherd the people of God, elders, he says, as men who will what? Have to give an account. See, the gospel is simply this, church family, that Jesus, who is the chief shepherd, died for his sheep to make us a family, to bring us together, and to order ourselves in a way that honors him, glorifies him, and carries forward the mission of God to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me just ask you, just point blank this morning. First of all, are you, are you a sheep Are you someone who sees your need for the chief shepherd? Are you someone who understands that like a physical sheep, you are wandering, lost, broken, and clueless, and that apart from the saving grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, you're hopelessly lost? If you can say yes, you're the perfect candidate to be a believer, right? You entrust yourself to the chief shepherd. And then pointedly, number two, all of us as the sheep of God. Say, God, direct us by your word. Show us how to be a family. Show us what it means to honor you in our relationship. So Four Oaks, this season, let's pray for each other. Pray for your leaders. Pray for their holiness. Pray for their perseverance. We're praying for you that God would do a great work of grace in us, in our church family this season. Let me pray. Lord, we ask now for that grace we have been talking about. Lord, um, leadership is hard. Following leadership is hard. And that's why, Lord, we look to you, the chief shepherd, who died for us to cover over all of our sins, all of our inadequacies. I pray, Father, that you would maintain the purity and peace of Four Oaks Church this season. I pray, Father, as we affirm elders, as we um, introduce new elder candidates, Lord, that you would be in the midst of that process, calling us to be the people you want us to be. And Lord, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Church, let's stand together.
0: As we continue on, we've already been, our ears have already heard the truth of the gospel. Whether you're... A leader in this church, elder, whether you're being led, whatever you're doing, we all take in the blessing of being led by the chief shepherd. This morning, whatever you need to to lay before the cross, lay it down. We want our hearts to be open. We want our lives to be uh, lived in transparency before the Lord. So even as we come to him, know that he is not coming as a heavy-handed leader, but he comes as a loving shepherd, a loving father. And that's why we can come together. That's why we're invited to come together to the table. So we're taking communion. So would you grab your communion elements that are on the backs of your seats or in the balcony in front of you. Together we are celebrating the goodness of our God and the care of God that he has given to us in Jesus Christ and providing a way for our sins to be dealt with at the cross. So let's hold these. We're gonna sing together, reminding ourselves that Christ shed his blood, that he, his body was broken for us, for his church. And we celebrate that together. So we'll sing and then we'll take together the elements. let sing the grace of God. Grace of God has reached for me. Together celebrating the gospel. So we take the bread on the night Jesus was, was crucified. He said, this is my body, which was... Death until he comes.
3: Good
4: morning to all of you. Uh, my name is Rob Pfeiffer, one of the pastors here on staff here at Collar. Uh, before we let you get away and uh, grab that lunch, I, I can see the hangriness already <laughs> building up right now. I'm joking. No, uh, we are we are actually going to do something that uh, is is a favorite part I think for us as a, a leadership. Uh, we we would love this morning to introduce to you uh, the new members uh, of our church who have. Who have gone through our welcome to the family class. And uh, over the past several months, we actually have 21 folks uh, we want to introduce to you this morning. And I just want to say also how grateful to God we are for His continued faithfulness to our church, uh, keeping us connected and in a community with one another. I think back to a welcome to um, a membership introduction we had. I think back in the fall we had a number of folks to introduce to you as well. And so when you put it all together and think about the past season we've been in, and here we are now, and I just give thanks to God for his faithfulness. And so we see this played out as we are together. Amen. But before I announce uh, our folks and have them come up, I I do want to just help you understand uh, what our membership class is about. Uh, maybe you're new here and you're, and you're wondering about that and how things work here at Forks. But our Welcome to the Family class, we call it Welcome to the Family. That is our, our membership class. And there's a, there's a specific reason we do this, we call it this, is because we believe that the church is the family of God. And as we have been hearing over the past weeks uh, from the preaching out of First Timothy, uh, we are definitely reminded of this, that we are the household of God. And I'm very thankful for this. That we are indeed God's family. And so, just as in our families at home, uh, where there is mutual commitment, there's service, leadership, and friendship, you know, God tells us also that the church should exemplify these family qualities as well. And so, I just want to briefly read through you the commitments that we ask members to make. We go through these during our class and we go through it and remind them when we interview. But I also want to put them before you to remind you, those who are members today, it's always good to be refreshed in these things, how we encourage one another. But there are four commitments we ask folks to make. Number one is care, uh, and that means to, to be submitting to the leadership uh, of Four Oaks as we care for you, as, as, as we shepherd you, just being reminded today out of God's word, uh, again, the, the, the high calling uh, our elders are, are, are make, that make and, and follow to, to lead and to shepherd, and we ask that our members make that uh, commitment. Uh, number two is give, uh, not just to give generously and sacrificially of our resources, but we do so of our time, our service within the life of the church and to one another, and gather, commit to gather. We are here today on the Lord's Day worshiping with one another. So many things happening that are good that we can open God's word, hear his preached word, and sing into him. And finally, the commitment for community, to live life uh, alongside one another, caring for each other. In particular, we ask that people make a commitment to do so within our community groups. So those are our four commitments. And these folks that I'm going to introduce to you today have made this commitment. And so what I would like to do is, is read off their names there's, there's, it's a long list, and so we're very thankful. But as I read your name, you guys can come up here to the front and stand behind me. I'll probably have to be in the third row by the time we're done, but it's great. But as I call your name, please come up to the front. Um, I, it's my joy to introduce to you, uh, Tom and Tracy Cochran. Uh, some of them may not be here today, but that's okay. We have Matthew and Arabella Reeves, Chuck and Pam Scheider, Jim and Body Marshall. Bill and Telly Thomas. There's people coming, don't worry. (laughs) Adam and Christy Lehman. Jordan and Mary Grace Walters. Judy Ward. Glenn and Christine Reininger. Come on up right here. You guys are great. Awesome. First service, they were like standing by the door. And I had to be like, guys, the front, center, please. Uh, Judy Ward. Uh, Yes, I'm sorry. Patricia Starling. Joel and Bristol Larson, and then Libby Lane. I believe I read everybody. So as folks are making their way to the front, let's make them feel welcome this morning. Yes, we want to say welcome to all of you. Um, Also, I would love for the elders and pastors that are here, if you could just stand uh, where you are and as you see the elders that are here you know there, there are commitments that we as the leadership uh, make to you and I do want to speak on behalf of the elders to say number one that, that we love you and that we are so grateful that you are committed to our body but the commitments we make to you are to, to protect and to guide and to encourage you and in particular, ministering to you through, through the word and, and through prayer. And so I want to say thank you for joining and that we are so glad you're part of the family. And so elders, if you would, where you are, let's bow our heads and the body too. Let's bow, let we'll the pray and pray for these folks and pray for us as a church body. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you. We thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for us. So that not only to be forgiven and saved for our sins, but we can also be adopted into your family. We are, we are one and we are united in Christ. And we thank you for this. Father, we pray that you would bless those here. Bless these new folks in our membership and part of the family. That you would guide and protect them. We pray that together as a Forex family, we would encourage them. And and that we would all build each other up and that we would all understand the call that we have to submit under Christ and to to really go to those who need Christ. We pray that you help us to reach into our community with the gospel so that they may also be welcomed someday into your family as well. We give praise to you, God, for all of these things and ask for your blessing. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Now I would invite all of you to stand. I'd love to read to you a benediction as we head out. And after I read the benediction, your job and assignment is not to go eat lunch, but it is to come welcome these folks. (laughs) All right. Just saying. But hear this word from the Lord from 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. The word of the Lord says this, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I pray that you have a blessed Lord's day. You are dismissed.